from Los Angeles, California. This is The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. This is a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Animals not only share the earth with us, but there are companions, confidants, protectors, co-workers, friends, and family. The domestication of cats and dogs runs alongside the evolution of human civilization. To many of us, our relationships with our animals are as significant as any we have with fellow humans, and the loss of them can be devastating. In the late 1970s in northern Israel, archaeologists unearthed the buried remains of a human ancestor positioned with its hands resting on a six-month-old wolf pup. The skeletons are dated at over 12,000 years old. Although we can't be 100% certain of the circumstances contributing to these skeleton postures, researchers believe it's further indication of the long existence of an affectionate bond between person and pet. While dogs have been joining humans on the nomadic hunt long before we settled into agricultural societies, researchers find evidence of feline domestication may be more recent, only about 9,500 years ago. When we started settling into villages and needed our furry nocturnal friends to aid in population control of rodents attracted to our grain storages. Studies are showing that owning a pet can benefit those suffering from a myriad of health and social concerns, including a variety of mental and physical illnesses. So what part of our natural selves do animals bring us back in touch with? What lessons of life and death can we learn from our relationship with our pets? In the following episodes, we explore some of the special qualities of the animal-human connection and are joined by Douglas Green, a marriage and family therapist here in Los Angeles, who has written a book about his own special relationship with a pet entitled The Teachings of Shirelle, Life Lessons from a Divine Knucklehead. Okay, let's do this. show we've had is fun yeah we have fun are we recording yeah we're recording is this thing on this thing is on welcome back listeners thanks for tuning in this is the relationship show with dr wendy hi dr wendy shalom and miss <laughs> jenny and today we have a very special guest our friend douglas green an mft like to do a little audience shout Uh He's a writer, a director, an actor, and author of the book, The Teachings of Shirelle, Life Lessons from a Divine Knucklehead, which is available on Amazon. And your publisher's website is... CavalariaPress.com. We will have all of that in the show notes. Great. So you guys can find it Including there. Including the spelling. That's Including the spelling, exactly. <laughs> uh, also, the spelling of Shirelle is like the band, the Shirelles, or, or the group. Mm. They're not a band the group uh so it's shirelle with two l's and he's also the creator and administrator of the website askshirelle.com which you use to connect with teens and kids and people of all ages all ages and all over the world more than i ever imagined it would be this has all come out of writing this book or did it kind of evolve parallel how did that it evolved in a lot of ways one big thing this all started with a dog there was this real dog. There's this dog. And I found over the years this stupid, obnoxious brat dog to become really the greatest teacher I ever knew. And in, in many, many ways. 
And one thing was, as I became a therapist, she for a while served as my co-therapist. And I did what they call animal assisted therapy, but I think that implies a hierarchy. Really, it was pretty <laughs> joint. And she was amazing. And the therapy was amazing that we did. And then even after she had passed on, I found she was still affecting the people we had seen. And the, ther the therapy clients that I saw who never knew her, so often I would use stuff about her in the session and people connect to that in a very different way. Then all that's going at the same time, I come up with this idea for this book. The psychological, philosophical, and spiritual lessons I learned from this dog. Can I just chime in? I, I, as Doug is beginning to talk about this beautiful book, I just want to say I'm shaking my head and I feel like I'm in church, like a Baptist, you know, like I'm just like, amen, can I get it? Amen. Because if everybody really were to read your book, it really is beautiful. And I, I just want to tell you the way, one of the things that really touched me is the first part of how your beautiful dog came into your life. And I think that I'm very spiritual, you know, not too religious, but I do believe that faith and a journey, um, when anybody comes in our path, uh, whether it's a, an animal or a person, it is really meant to be. And Jenny and mm -hmm. I, the other day, we were talking about the idea. And um, when I say shalom, it doesn't mean I'm half Catholic, half Jewish. So, I, you know, I, I, uh, when I say hello, or shalom. Around here. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, but, you know, we so I'm not very religious, but uh, we were talking about the idea of Beshert. And are you Jewish or Catholic? Oh, do you mind me? I'm actually neither. I'm a non-guilt-written wasp. <laughs> Do you, do you know anything? Half of me is that. Do you, um, do you it's know? It's a Christian. He is his culture, uh -huh. right? I mean, you grew up, growing up in the Midwest and, and your family is kind of, if not practicing, your culture was Christian. Oh, yeah. No, no I went yeah. to Sunday school and sang in a choir and all that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Classic wasp. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to share a song right now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Maybe and, later. And, and there will be singing. I don't want you to lose your listeners. So, right. so, uh, so in the Jewish religion, there's a concept called beshert and uh it means soulmate uh -huh. and so when i'm oh. reading this at the very beginning of your beautiful book that's the first thing that i thought about was how you met your beautiful doggy and how she came into your life really felt like beshert, beshert it, yeah and that was really powerful how she came into your met life. any of those lovely words um yeah it i i'm trying to think of where to start i had dogs growing up. I've always loved dogs. And I hit a point where I was a struggling filmmaker, a struggling writer, and nothing was going right. And my sense was, well, when I sell that big script, when I'm able to move, I'll, I'll get a dog. But right now I live in an apartment with wooden floors. You know, you just can't do it. And I caught a a cold, a summer cold. The weather was very polluted that summer. And I, at some point, went out of town, went to somewhere in the mountains, Arrowhead, Big Bear, I can't even tell you where, it's long ago, and was walking around and so happy to be in clean air and in nature, just away from stucco and asphalt, just walking trees and stubbing my toe and, you know, all this stuff. 
and those things that we just don't get here. No. At some point, I want to say I was leaning on a tree or something. I was just sort of rhapsodizing in this whole thing. And this voice comes to me, and I, you don't have to call it pet team in here. I don't get a lot of voices, <laughs> but I really did. Have, I, I've had a few, and this was one. God and was this, talking to you, or the spirit, or the energy, tree, or the, the tree, or nature. A, yeah. You, you get to, I, I'm not going to put a, your soul. I won't put a name on it, yeah. but something said, you need to move out of your house move out of your apartment and get a house and get a dog mm. because today nothing tracks mud into your home and it was one of the weirdest moments of my life i thought i have to obey that that logic is so odd that i have to do it found a little shack i would basically say of a house Great. and moved in and with a friend started looking at pounds i had this bizarre experience i imagine this is where you're going with all this it's all in the book that i was walking into this one pound and i knew i wanted to get a very very young puppy i want to get someone who'd never been abused who didn't have any ingrained prejudices or anything and i walked in and they didn't have any puppies that young they had three month old was the youngest they had so I thought, oh, I'll just look, see what see what I see. And I'm walking down the aisle of this, which is a nice term to use, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. this shirt. And I suddenly had this experience. I do not remember looking at this cage. I don't remember seeing this dog, but the dog and I are staring into each other's eyes. I have no memory of putting my hand in but my hand is in the dog's mouth, this puppy's mouth. She's chewing on it. We're looking at each other's eyes in this very <laughs> Jenny's intense Jenny's going to cry right now. She's yeah. like... Yeah. And it's so what happens? bizarre. What happens? And this, this was in South Central, what they now call South L.A. It was very overpopulated with dogs. And, and, I, and if you think about how many places you could have gone... And well, I went to three different pounds. Yeah. I this mean, was just one. But there's like... But, 50 of them. Oh, yeah. And those, that specific one, that timing, that moment. Timing is everything. So cool. Yeah, all of it. There were five puppies in this cage, which should have really had one, oh, but they were just so unpopular, they, they didn't want to be, you know, right. getting rid of them. They had cards up for four of them, and I was looking at the four cards, and none of them were the puppy who my hand was in the mouth of. And I asked an assistant there about it. What's the deal with this puppy? And he goes, oh, oh, that's Kelly's dog. Hey, Kelly, somebody wants to buy a knucklehead. I, wait, wait a minute, I'm not asking to buy it. I'm just doing this. And this woman named Kelly comes up. And the deal is they had a, say, a four or a five day time limit. They had so much yeah, population crazy. problem there. It was, it was so tough. And if nobody buys or claims the dog within that time, they were put down. And your book and also says they say clean house, right? That the clean, boss. Yeah, yeah. Right. Although that, well, that, that's later. That's later. Ugh, so, that's so that, that that they. I mean, their life was really at stake. It's, every it's moment. astoundingly so. And she had just fallen in love with this little puppy who was such a brat. They, she talked about this little knucklehead, and 
she had stolen the puppy's card because the puppy had been there too long and thinking that way it'll give the puppy a couple more days. At just least. the kindness of strangers, too. Yes. Yeah. We talked about it, and I was thinking they weren't sure what breed it was. I was thinking this may not work. And I finally said, I, I can't take this puppy today. And can I come back tomorrow? And she said, no, it's a holiday. And I said, oh, that's fine. I'll come back the day after. And she said, well, sometimes the manager of the place comes through on days off to clean up. Mm. And I was just, I can't make this decision based on that. Yeah, I right, have right. to go. And I went, and well, I was looking at another pound. And mm. they might have specifically what I wanted. And I went in, looked at the dogs there. There were some very nice dogs. Went back, climbed in my car, looked at my friend and said, it's the husky. It's that the knucklehead. And <laughs> for the next two nights, mm. I slept horribly. I had nightmares of something kind of like that puppy. Like limbs being ripped off, oh, blood everywhere, everything. Seven. Ran in the day after Veterans Day, right about it was just this time of year. Ran in. The next morning, first thing, and they had a whole bunch of new influx of little young puppies, exactly what I've been looking for. Not a chance. Ran to this dog, grabbed out of the cage. We're going. We're out of here. <laughs> Left a note for Kelly uh, saying, thank you. It's okay. I, I saved her. And that was that. It's just amazing. It's amazing how we find the one, uh, you know, it. it when it's yeah. a person or a pet or a job or an apartment, I mean, like all these kinds of things, sometimes it just seems miraculous and to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so just to just to kind of give listeners an idea in the country, there's like over 13,000 animal shelters, community animal shelters and there's no national administration uh, of monitoring or regulation of these places there's there's and there's also no one that's collecting data so the data and the stats and research that i will mention at different times are kind of varied from you know different places but when you think about that that's just that's so many animals out there and dogs and cats and i'm Although I am the proud pet guardian or owner, um, or she may own me, of a dog, <laughs> which actually Wendy, Dr. Wendy, was very instrumental in, in finding. And this is another beshert kind of situation. <laughs> Can you share? Um, Just a little, do you feel comfortable? Yeah, sharing? absolutely. So um, Fascinating how your dog became a child. We were working uh, at an agency nearby over Vista Del Mar, um, and I had... Two cats at the time. I originally had three. One had passed away. Um, I had two. They were litter mates, long-haired Siamese, beautiful babies. Love them. But they were older, and one of them had just survived breast cancer and uh, had been with us longer than we thought we'd have her, right? And we were not in a place to get a dog. And my husband always wanted a dog, but it was like when we get a place for the yard. And I have friends who rescue dogs and are always bringing them around and we love them, but it's never that, you know, you can say goodbye. So it's like people who foster dogs too. That just amazes me. Like, how do you say goodbye to them? Like, I can't, I, how, do you, don't, how do you not get attached? Anyways, so it's not like I'm, I fall in love with every animal. I mean, I do, but like that I feel like I want to take them home, right? So 
I just came out of one of the classrooms and I see one of the maintenance men walking around this dog. And I was like, look, somebody got a puppy. And this dog comes running up to me and I, it's a little tiny thing, starts licking my face. And I was just like, oh my God, I just knew like, oh, this is such a special animal. And he's bright, a bright, bright soul. It was yeah. the hottest day. Yeah. That's so cute. Oh. Uh, and I, I'm showing oh, that's Doug a very a, bad Doug dog. A picture. That's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, she's a very, very good girl. Go, go on uh, Jenny's Twitter, hopefully, and maybe you can see. Yeah. Um, I've got pictures of of Sookie everywhere. So, so, yeah. So the guy said, well, she's not mine, actually. They're looking for home. One of the teachers found it, and Missy, who is somebody, one of the few teachers that I had a close relationship with. Them. Guardian Angel, number two, right? First the man who had her uh, to walk around, then the Missy. teacher, uh, and then who I, came to my office and said, I don't know what to do with this beautiful little puppy. And she was going to leave her in the car all day. So I said, okay, well, so I took, uh, I found a box and some water, and I put it in the back seat of my car and left windows, you know, half open. And someone said, you know what? It is so hot out, you cannot put that dog in that car. And so I ran back and cute little doggy peed everywhere. And I did not care because it was so cute. I don't care. You know, enjoy this, you know, like we got to find a game plan. What, what are we going to do? I knew I couldn't take it. So we kept it in one of the offices at the school. It was uh, nice and cool and uh, some water. And everybody had, oh, how cute, how cute, how cute. Do you want to? Yeah, and, so, and there were other people who wanted the puppy, and it was like, mm -hmm. and I was not going to get in the middle of anything. I was like, okay, well, again, we've got this cat situation. Maybe it's not bad, best. But the person who had found it, she wanted to keep her, but she couldn't. And this is also a reason that a lot of people have to give up pets, and why a lot of animals end up in the shelters is because right. of leases, and they can't keep them. She couldn't keep her, and she wanted us. She was a huge advocate for us to have her, and I. Talked to my husband who was like, well, I don't know if this is the best time. And I said, well, I've fallen in love. And I sent a picture and he's like, okay. And of course, the minute that I bring the dog home, he's like got like top of the line, everything. And he's like bonded to that dog far deeper. I mean, you married I'm, well. Yes. You married well. Well, when I first met my husband, um, my, I said I had three cats, which, you know, that just... Believe me, people, you can have three cats and still find uh, a partner. Yeah. Uh, like, just to dispel that myth. Um, it doesn't automatically make you a crazy cat person. But, yeah, right? The reputations of, like, if somebody has a pit bull, then you're a gangster. Who's right. Kinda, you know, reputations and... Yeah, there's all these kind of ideas about judgments. what pets mean or, or somebody who's really in love mm -hmm. with or attached to their pet. So, mm -hmm. but I had... My, one of my animals, one of them got sick pretty early on in the relationship. I think we were like three months in and he was there with me when I had to make the decision to put her down mm -hmm. and was in the room with me. And he had only known this animal very briefly and he was tearing up and it was like, wow, that just told me something about who that person was. Exactly. And that's the, that's the thing with what you're saying about, you know, people say, oh, if you have this, then you are this. And I'd say, you might be half right. Because it says a lot about Jenny that she had three cats. It doesn't mean she's a crazy recluse, but it could. But it's hmm, maybe. but it does mean something about her attachment and her caretaking and all that. And some people would look and say, I don't want someone like that. I want someone who's completely free. I want someone who leaves town for months at a time. Great. 
Yeah. They should see that in you. They should see that that's not right because because uh, an animal and and this is, I think you it's so beautifully talked about in your book. I mean the Thanks. commitment that it takes to share your life with an animal and cats. I, I love cats and they but they're a lot. Lo- Attitude-wise, they're high maintenance, but but <laughs> <laughs> right, but um, but in terms of care, they're easier to leave. They're either like dogs require a lot of work, and I loved how committed you were to your relationship. It's funny. There's one thing that isn't in the book that I, ooh, she was maybe nine or something, and I adopted a turtle from a school that I'd been working at, and <laughs> this turtle was just about the most horrible animal I've ever known in my life. And How the, can a the turtle amount, be horrible? Oh, that turtle was an it's asshole. It's way too long a story <laughs> here. But I'm, I'm trying to avoid shell. words, but yes and yes. And it was... Did you feel it, neglect, like rejected or did it Oh, he hated me. Kind of... He <laughs> rejected. He tried to bite me all the time. Oh, and yeah. and he... Love nips. Who was that uh, in your family of origin? Right? Yes. <laughs> Luckily, nobody, yeah. nobody hated me that much. <laughs> Luckily, thank God. <laughs> and cleaning up for a turtle is a ton of work. You keep them in really? the aquarium. They're filthy animals. And at some point, I remember looking and thinking... That dog is so much easier to care for than this thing that weighs much less than a hundredth of her weight. Really, I find dogs aren't a lot of trouble to take care of. Puppies are. The first six months, I don't know that it's a lot less effort than having a baby. Mm -hmm. But after those first six months, the only thing they require is attention. And they're the most fun friend you have. So in terms of giving attention, it's not hard. They're very adaptable. They're also very adaptable. I'm just thinking about character and temperament. You know how babies come into this world with character and temperament. Mm -hmm. And dogs, too. I mean, dogs, cats, any animals. I mean, I hear about horses, you know, whatever it is. Imagine running a pound, the number of puppies you have, and that one of them got a reputation enough to get a nickname within three days. That's an astounding feat. You have to be a total brat to do that. It, it really takes some work. You mean Sherell? You mean the knucklehead? I'm talking about knucklehead. Yeah, mm. that, that, that the idea that this guy was yelling across this huge place, someone wants to buy knucklehead, and she knew who he meant, right. is amazing. So a lot of so personality. A lot of personality. Mm. And that wasn't Just like anybody's you. doing. Oh, I, I aim high. <laughs> I am high, but I got true. nothing on her. You know how they say <laughs> that the animal is a reflection on you and your soul, or vice versa? I mean, it, it really is. I mean, this really is a love story, your book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Absolutely. ultimate love story. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet have something on us. But... <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, she filled your soul, and you filled her soul, and you, at any length, I really don't want to give away the whole book, but it really is lovely because... You know, you, you talk about attachment, secure attachment, and what you had gone through in your life and career stuff and relationship yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and she was there for yeah. you, and you were there at really devastating times for her. And and that's what love is, and it can take so many different forms. And, you know, so whether it's wow. a human being or whether it's an animal, like, love is love, right? That's yeah. what they always say. Yeah. Thanks. That's a great reading of the book. Okay. I love that. But it's it's true. I think that the obviously I think it's not that way for everybody. I think different people 
I, I you you mentioned it briefly in there. You didn't go into much detail because it wasn't really what the book was about. But the difference too between the role that pets play in a family versus like a one-on-one relationship, oh, like that's... an individual relationship. And like I remember my family animals growing up, and I, I had close uh, connections with some of the kittens that were born in my you know uh-huh. litters, my house and stuff. But it was just not the same as it has been for me as an adult. It's not, and it's no less or more in terms of, you see the dog who you know is taking care of that whole family. And they're right. such a member of the family that that's its own profundity. This, it wasn't what I chose, but I was single the whole time, or there were girlfriends, but I mean, nothing lasted. So she and I were the primary relationship here. Right. And it was, it became something, I didn't know this existed, what happened. There was a point after a few years where if one of us got sick, the other had symptoms of that illness. Oh wasn't, we, we didn't catch the illness, we just had the symptoms. Yeah. Just uh, attunement. The, Talk about attunement. attunement. Right? Yeah. There was a case where she was attacked by a dog at a friend's party, and I had nightmares seeing it from her point of view. Right. It was. It was just you got this weird stuff of where we were so, you know, with judgment. You might say enmeshed, and I guess right. you say, okay, maybe but we were healthy enmeshments, but... or, or you know, <laughs> I mean, if you can't go to work, or you can't eat, or sleep, or right. you know, get dressed in the morning because you love them so much. Mm, wow. Yeah. I will say though, uh, I and wish I, I'd spent less time going to work and more time with her, but that's that's oh. regret later. You you yeah. talked. There was a comment in there um, at one point where you said it just reminded me of of when I leave my dog, just like the look that she gave you, like when oh, you would leave. God. Like fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's not with me. That. It's just like where are you going? I call it giving face. Like Suki just gives face. It's just where like, are you going, she puts on full puppy oh, eyes. It's, I know like, you're just, like, never oh. coming home. And they say like you know dogs are basically like the equivalent of a two or three year old. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. you know it's like when the child like smacks himself up against the window like don't go mommy don't go don't go separation don't go, don't go. anxiety for sure sure oh, yeah. and even when it gets pretty healthy there's still that look of of because it still hurts and if you think about it i mean they don't watch tv they don't turn on the radio they don't turn on the computer they are getting left at home for 12 hours in a shot. No wonder. They, they're looking and saying, this sucks. Why are you leaving? Well, I leave the but... Cartoon Network on for her. Okay. I'm sure that does wonders. <laughs> she loves it. She loves it, actually. Because we, we had to stop great. leaving stuff on that, that had animals on it because she will react. Because now yeah. it used to be with the old televisions, they couldn't see it. But now with like HD televisions, dogs can perceive it better. Oh, we don't subscribe to it, but there's a whole channel called Dog TV. You can get special, which is broadcast in colors that they pr- respond to, and it's all at their level. I've never heard of this. That's oh yeah, Dog TV was fascinating because they had like a trial. You could put it on for a couple of weeks, you know, and, and then see, order it. Yeah, and happens. she was just amazed, you know, and it would desensitize them to certain things. There'd be playtime and all, the, all these different things. So yeah. now, Sherelle never had any reaction to visuals on TV. She did to sounds. Yeah, and it was very interesting because my ears aren't good enough to tell you in a movie whether the sound effects were fake or actual recorded sounds. But I watched the first Ace Ventura movie on video with her, and she was riveted the entire time. There was no question. Those were all real sounds. Those were not people making 
you know, or machines making the sounds. She loved that movie. And the other thing was um, the show Frasier. Frasier had, Frasier's apartment had the same doorbell as mine. So if I ever watched Frasier and somebody rang the doorbell, she was crazy running around. Fascinating. Doorbells are knocked on that door. Like, Suki reacts to horses. Like, she she goes apeshit if there's a horse or, well, really any animal, mm-hmm. but horses in particular. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And she goes up to the TV and she's like, uh, uh, uh. My, Has she seen real ones? I, not, not with me. It's That's fun. Really if you ever go to Sullivan Canyon, I think is the official name, but they often call it... I can't think. I'm sorry. Not thinking of the name. One of the canyons. But, but there are horses that go up. People ride horses up and down the canyon a lot. And it was so fun to see a puppy's reaction. It's like, that's the biggest dog I ever saw. That's huge. Well, and Sherelle was a me. big dog. I mean, like, I mean, not not Pretty huge. Big. I mean, she's medium. Like, yeah. Suki's 12 pounds, which is right, you know, right. as big so. as my biggest cat. So right. that kind of was manageable for me. But... You know, I was thinking about that as I was reading your book because I have upstairs neighbors who had a German Shepherd who very old, just passed recently. But mm. just taking him, and they are older too, taking him up and down the stairs every day. And I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, my heart breaks with things like this. I think mm-hmm. I, I told I told Doug in a, in an email. Of, how much I love the book, but at the same time, how difficult it is because I have a lot of reaction to like emotional, like I'll avoid movies like my dog skip where he's like, or any uh, or Marley and me or uh, and anything yeah. where I like, no, it's like sweet and it's poignant and it's real, but he's like, Oh God, you know, something is just too much. It's, it's too sweet. It's going to break my heart. And just the whole, the size I think about as they get older and having to manage that and, mm-hmm. and, but I mean, you're a big, strong guy. I'm, I'm five foot. Oh you know, yeah. One, so I never cry at movies. No. <laughs> no, no. No, I meant in terms of tough luck. Marley died. Get over it, Jen. Owen, come on. Man I was talking up. about you yeah, being yeah, able sure, to, to pick her yeah, up and yeah. stuff. You know, although there are times when my twelve-pound little terrier decides that she's going to be like, I'm a rock and I will not move. You know, somehow. Yeah, just in yeah. that way. No, but we're all like that. No, People she, are like that too. And she, more than size, she was enormously strong as you know from the book she was ridiculously fast and strong so i have shoulder issues today <laughs> like any parent so, would right exactly well i had a wrist injury that that when it was diagnosed they said you know we only see this in women with children and i was like well that's not me i got a dog you got a dog yeah i got a dog yeah yeah <laughs> it's like yeah but it's your baby what i mean it, it is your baby you well, know? right, and that was, you know, baby replacement kind of sublimation. Right? <laughs> Some of the things that I'm thinking about is how, you know, the spectrum of how people can really get swept away uh, with animals. And mm. I know a lot of people have, uh, you know, baby cams that uh, they can watch their dogs all day long. <laughs> they also can talk to them. They can, I don't know how it works. They but... also have them at like the little doggy daycares that like you can drop them off and, and watch them in the middle of the day. Like, I just want to check. I mean, there's doggy hotels in the different hotels. Someone that I know says that their doggy hotel is like equivalent to the Ritz-Carlton <laughs> or the Four Seasons. And they get massages and they get, you know, fresh breath and they, whatever it is, whatever you need to pamper. Pamper, pamper, pamper. It's, it's, it's really, shaking it's, his it's head really, like... It's so hard because I, I want so much not to judge, but at the same time I go, you know, there are people starving. Yeah. And the dog like... doesn't 
care about this. I mean, yeah, have your dog in a comfortable. And I don't know, you know if it's for the dog, right? Right. That's it, my point. Yeah. They couldn't care less. But but and, that but if you and I know you all can understand too that that level of intimacy, vulnerability, kind of the the intensity and of that's where I'm wanting the best. It's like judge. private school for your kids, you know, right. or whatever, versus public school. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, absolutely. We always are mindful of global issues and what homework is to be done in this world and in this lifetime, for sure. Um, and it's so, subjective, too. And it is subjective, and that's what I'm saying. I, I don't want to judge, but at the same time, I want to say, let the dog be subjective. It's like, really, what does the dog want? The dog would love to go outside and sniff around. It does not need the Rex Carlton at all. Well, that's the thing when you said that the voice said to you, there's no one tracking mud into your house, yeah. home right now. So I'm, I'm wondering what tra- what you feel that message is about. Like, what are the advantages oh of having gosh. a creature that tracks mud? I mean, it's like Every, literally, it's, figuratively, uh, metaphorically. We do not have time. I'd say it's the entire book. Right. It's the entire book. Uh, yes, literally, it's somebody bringing nature in because we are so separated from nature as a society. And Absolutely. in my work, I mainly, mainly work, I shouldn't say, I'd say half my work, is kids and teens. And there's this thing today that was not true when we were growing up when we were growing up you know you might want to stay inside and watch stupid reruns on tv and the parents are yelling get outside you know this is obnoxious Mm -hmm. or you had parents who said oh good the tv's a babysitter it's fine today there's this whole mindset that it's dangerous outside right and so Kids shouldn't go outside. It's terrible. They're all going to get kidnapped. They're all going to get... Right. Or uh, technology. The, the, well, you know, this, the is, this is my point. So they don't go out. So instead they stay inside and the parents are upset. And they say, my kid plays video games all day. Well, of course they do. Right. But they, they're, they're not outside. They're not out there. This could be useful. There's a book that is a good book, but I love the title even more, called The Blessings of a Skinned Knee. And dealing with this, like, kids are supposed to, our skeletons demand it. We're supposed to fall down. We're supposed to get hurt. We're supposed to get dirty. That's where you build up immunity. That's where you build up all this stuff. And we are so cut off from it. And certainly I, who'd grown up a nerd and was now trying to make it as a writer-director, was totally cut off from that reality. And to have somebody sitting there saying, I need to go outside and play catch. I need to go for a walk saying to me and I don't mean I don't want you to get scared of hearing voices but <laughs> but clearly <laughs> clearly going up to the mountains for a weekend and going on long hikes is a really good idea and here's somebody who's going to enjoy it so much or going to the beach or anything like that here's someone whose enjoyment is going to lead me to that and help me appreciate it more is wonderful didn't you say Just that great. and maybe I misunderstood but weren't you sick and that's the whole reason why you took that initial yeah trip. yeah I had a cold. so you had to get sick in order to go and connect with nature and oh the, the causality thing is all over the place yeah I, i'm also hearing that uh, and correct me if i'm wrong but there, there's this there's this element of um when you have a pet that we become we inspire responsibility in ourselves and accountability to this other creature you know that yep. this creature that needs to be 
outdoors. You know, we've created our indoor world for us, and then we've brought them into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously they need shelter and, and stuff like that, but it's... But, but it goes the other way, too. Right. And it's it's interesting. I, I find this, it's a quandary. I find it with parenting a lot as well, that you, on one hand, have somebody who's teaching you to play. They're this wonderful role model saying stop being so serious, be a ding-dong, wrestle with me, play fe- play catch, play fetch, uh, all these things, be silly. At the same time, your new position in life is to take care of them, protect them, and prevent there being too much silliness. Right. So you're in this funny mm-hmm. mix as a the adult in the relationship and the pupil. You're saying that just reminded me of something else in, in the book that you were talking about when you became early on in your career as a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it was in one of the agencies where somebody t- turned to you and distra- described you as, Doug, you're, you're a golden retriever. Yes. Like, yes. And then, yes. You know, like you yourself and are they, this. And they didn't know playful. anything. I mean, now I have a, a very profound, I shouldn't say profound, but a, a great relationship with that supervisor. But, uh, but at that time, she didn't know me at all. And there was this issue that had come up and at some point she intensely described me as a golden retriever. And I just like, it wasn't a good thing. What she was saying, which was, it was a wonderful comment. It was in terms of analyzing me was that in the way I work, I, her description was you want to save everybody and you want to love everybody and you come galumphing up and licking their face and you want to do all this and you have to be careful of that. Right. And she's right. And I also think it's my greatest strength. Absolutely. So it's both of those. And to have that awareness was wonderful. But at the time, it was just, you've got to be kidding, because I have this role model who makes Golden Retrievers look calm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about parenting, again, just to kind of stay on that topic mm-hmm. for, for a moment, because... There's there's some similarities between parenting and pet guardianship and and you a lot. you know you've talked about it and we we work with some all of us use behavioral techniques I'm sure you know whether very directly or in our own ways um, we work with behaviorists so how are how are they similar what are the similarities between parenting and and pet guardianship dog training and and behavioral work. Wow, I I guess I would say that everything one does with a pet, you're going to do with kids. It's just there are more things to do with kids. The brains are twice as big. You need to stimulate go, more. Go, go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to teach more de- de- and deal with more <laughs> issues and all that. But I don't I don't think there's anything one deals with. I'm struggling in my as I'm thinking here that one deals with as a pet owner that one doesn't deal with as a parent (laughs) with the one exception of course being that you hope and you pray that your kids can outlive you right and there's that issue but other than that really it's i think it's all there it's just simpler with an animal you can try this at home the biggest thing that i found in in this regard was the the fact that dogs or any of these animals aren't capable of shame. They do not have the self-reflective brain that we do. And that in that, 
to realize how incredibly powerful it is if you raise a dog, which is, again, the simpler job, without acting toward it in a way that would create shame. Treating it as somebody who's kind of perfect but does some wrong things, you end up with a really emotionally healthy being. Far better than me. (laughs) (laughs) Or probably any human. And so this ended up affecting my work enormously as a therapist because I aim for that. And again, it's never totally achievable. Our brains are too big. We look at ourselves. We have opinions about ourselves in a way that an animal never will. But if you say, if there's a way to get your kid to do their homework, if there's a way to get your kid to eat their vegetables, if there's a way to get your kid to stop smoking that doesn't involve shaming, you're going to have so much better reaction. You're going to have so much better result. And to aim that way and to aim as much as possible to avoid shaming, I think it just will define a healthier personality, a healthier kid, and a happier kid. I loved that story you tell about the parents who have the teenage daughter who's talking back or or rebelling uh, and it was a cultural thing oh yes right, maybe right. um mm-hmm. maybe they were hispanic i don't i don't remember it but doesn't um, it doesn't matter oh, okay <laughs> it doesn't say your whole conversation with them about parents wanting to give their children a better life the give, success give them what, to them was was to give their kids what they didn't have which i think is always the case i think that's parents have that wish that's the big dream in this country, we like to say it's the American dream. Actually, they have it everywhere else, too. <laughs> right. To say that's an area we can do that. The, you know, even, it's, even it's, if it's more the material things. People think of that, like, I want to give my kids what I didn't have, and they think of it in terms of material things. Which and... is great if you can. But if not, this is another area where you can. Right. I mean, one of the things that really resonated with me throughout the book even though it wasn't, and this this just goes speaks to my own pathology, but it's just like <laughs> talking about the transgenerational language of shame. Um, uh-huh, right. And, you know, I, I understand it too culturally because I come from a biracial family and there's a legacy on my father's side of, you know, lots of struggle in terms of growing up Chicano in, in, mm. in the United States and, and, right. and underprivileged. My mother's side, even though she's wasp growing up, during the depression, you know, or in the in the aftermath of the depression too, there's lots of things that come up, and then it gets passed on in ways that there people aren't even cognizant of. And so mm-hmm. I thought that that conversation about it was interesting. Yeah, and, and, and I don't and, I, and beautiful. those external reality issues are of course huge and very legitimate. But I don't think you even need those. I think not dealing with racial prejudice, not dealing with a disastrous oh. economic situation, this stuff. Again, I think it's just core to our personalities. I, I think there's a, a great reason that our primary cultural text begins with, okay, humans are created, everything's perfect until they eat the tree of knowledge. And then, uh, outside the garden, it'll never be good again. You know too much. And I think, like, you just defined it. That's exactly it. We are too smart. We are going to be dealing with this garbage 
forever. And animals are just basically like, garden? What's a garden? <laughs> Can I sniff your butt? Yeah, or, or everything's a garden is, right. is really what they say. And and just some gardens are better than others. Yeah, if, 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 butts are great. Garbage cans are great. Yeah. Flowers and and the, the advantages you know, of having the, the blissful yeah. ignorance too of not having language to even register shame. I mean, we talk about self talk a lot, Doctor Winnie and I do. Right. You know, I mean, like the self talk that goes on in our head, exactly. and the self talk is in words as well as feelings. Mm-hmm. Dogs don't have the words, so they might feel something, but it's, they, they're not going to have the repetitive language coming up in their minds which yeah. i think is an advantage of having a smaller brain and, and, and I'll, I'll say and this is more based on the dog i had as a as a teenager who um that sounds wrong when i was a teenager <laughs> the dog was but who uh had not clearly not been treated well before we got him he was incredibly sweet uh not mean at all but never felt good enough and it wasn't shame. I think he just felt nobody would love it. Nobody, yeah. even though I was completely in love with him, and my parents <laughs> did their best because it was it was me that was in love with him. Right. But he was his whole life. He was scared to get into a car, and clearly it's that somebody had driven him out in the country and tossed him out because he was an ugly little. Aww. I'm sure he was a puppy of some purebred that they thought was going to come out in a beautiful breed, and they got Igor, and Hi. oh boy. <laughs> And he had this thing of when I came home, and you know, dogs are all excited, so excited to see you. But he didn't know for all the years we had him. He didn't know if I'd be happy to see him. Would I really come up to him? And he'd whine and all that. And if you went up and petted him, he was so excited he'd pee on you. And so you had to, if, if you were wearing nice clothes, you had to kind of step back and reach out and pet him because these little squirts were going to come out. And I thought it was the sweetest thing I'd ever seen in my life, but the fact is he never, ever really felt good. But it wasn't shame as we know it. It was trust in this case. So that sounds a lot like anxious, ambivalent attachment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I'm also... Relating to, I had a um, which which will happen if your parents throw you out of a car when you're you know, yeah. a few days old. It'll, it'll build that anxious about, attachment. You know, talk about. But I'm saying, you know, he, it, to find a way to connect, and so even if there's fifty percent of him that's able to connect a little bit, even if he's anxious and peeing, that fear. I as you're talking, Doug. I had a dog when I was um, a teenager. Mm-hmm. who was a little Lhasa Apso, and my mm. dad rescued him from a pet store where he had been there, and he had a, a beautiful dog, but a sty. He had eye problems, and uh-huh. he was highly traumatized because people would tap, 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 tap on the window. So he was was that little dog in the window that they say don't buy dogs from a pet store because they can really become paranoid, and they see dogs uh, being bought or whatever so then they bond with new ones and anyway we brought him home and he was just really really traumatized and like you said you never ever felt good he would growl if you came close to him nobody could get close to him Um, yeah no this this dog was in much better shape than that yeah no he he was friendly to everybody 
Uh, are you talking about Igor? Or yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, it, it wasn't that so situation. I had what so happened? much love. Just wouldn't let anyone yeah, so sad. get close. See, and... that's why I wanted this young puppy yeah. when I was getting Sherelle, because I was afraid of this, exactly this. There were moments, there were moments, but you would never know it. It was so unexpected when he would just really snap, and he, he just... He just couldn't relax in life, but we we loved him. We loved him so much, and he yeah. just. Do you have uh, clients like that? Uh, <laughs> that snap, that are snappy and won't let us and get close. Don't really ever feel that trust, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. it's all about trust. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, but we also, I mean, just thinking about the life cycle, and then when dogs or you know animals pass away, Jenny, you said about your your cats, and I have a, a dear friend who had like six cats and then she married someone with a cat and then one by one by one they all passed away and just devastating devastating loss that triggered other things in her life about loss right and um recently my parents had two beautiful Bichons and they mirrored my mom and my dad perfectly my mom is really (laughs) hyper and so Tessie was like my mom, just <laughs> wild and all over the place. And then my dad, uh, we had Harry. So Harry and Tessie were like Al and Jane. And and Harry was was adorable. He just was loving and he was relaxed. And every time you went up to him, he just rolled on his back and he wanted his belly rubbed. Um, really cute. And then they lived together for about 17 years. And then just recently... Tessie passed away and you know how like in relationships in couples one goes right after the other and Harry stayed for a little bit longer and then he passed away so it's the missing that energy and I can't even imagine because I'm reading you know I don't want to give away too much of his book again but you know just the energy, or like when you're a kitty cat, you know, like oh yeah, well, and the, the, the energy two, stays too. Yes, their souls that that we had that were sick when we got Suki. One died a couple months after Suki had got there, and it was mm-hmm. almost like she was like, "Okay, I know you guys are okay now. I'll go," because she had been the runt of the litter. Still to this day, I I miss her because I never saw a bug, and now every time <laughs> I see a bug, I'm like, "Oh, I wish Spaz was here." Because she was just such a fierce little runt, and right. uh, and her brother, <laughs> Mr. Big, Mr. Big held on until February, but it was oh, the same great thing. Great name. Well, and here's the thing, and like I want to talk a little bit about naming animals yes. too, because when I got these two, and I I only wanted one, but they didn't want to split them up because they were brother and sister, and they loved them, and I was not looking for a long-haired cat, and I just wanted Siamese because Siamese are really smart, very dog-like cats not in lady in the tramp but there were these long-haired fluffy animals that were just like oh they just stole my heart and you couldn't separate them and I kept thinking well they will tell me their names I don't want to just you know we could be really clever and mm-hmm. my my boyfriend at the time had gotten them for me for Valentine's. We broke up like three months later. It was like, great, now I'm a crazy lady, single lady with three cats. But so. You did that purposely. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Damn it. 
so because of their personalities, until they until I found their names, I would refer to her because she was kind of a spaz, you know, and yeah. and and he was just this big beautiful thing. Like, hello, look at how gorgeous I am. My grandfather used to always do this thing, well, just look at him. He just thinks he's Mr. Big. And so that's oh, what that's I would call him. Great. And this was before Sex in the City. Then everyone was like, so did you name him after Christopher Knopf? And I was like, no. And funny. they never got never real watched, names. I they, never watched Sex in the names. City. So to me, it just sounds like a gangster. It sounds like it, it, it's... Um, like live and let die. I think yeah. I think the main bad guy is named Mr. Big. Yeah. <laughs> he was so not... He was like... He looked much bigger and stronger and beautiful. I mean, he's beautiful, but he's a real priss. Like, he would hide behind Spaz. Spaz would go up against raccoons. Like, come on, bring it! You know, and then Mr. Big's uh, like, I'll be back here. Yeah, so anyways. So, so a lot like children, you know, or babies, that's, do you name the baby before they come? Or do you wait mm, and see the essence, the, the flavor, right. the personality? Well, I loved your experience naming Sherelle. I, I, if you want the story, I'll throw it out yeah. here. Um, so I had had, just as you say, the cleverness thing. It's just, I find we go through stages in life and naming shows up in them. And do you name a clever name that has a reaction, you know, a connection to it? And I had a, a girlfriend in college who had this wonderful different view, which was that she had a, just a list in her own head of words that she loved and that someday she was going to name a pet or something. And we had a cat for a short time and she named it Gherkin, which I think is a great name <laughs> for a, a cat. It's a great name for a cat. It was really cute. <laughs> and for a while we shared a car. It was a big green station wagon and she named it Asparagus. I'm like, that, <laughs> these were wonderful names. And, but at this stage of my life, I thought, I want to go beyond that. I want to go, you know, here we are, three yeah. therapists in the room. Oh, I want to go organic, holistic. <laughs> I want to do you know, Mindful. I, this mindful. is my I want to Young. let I want to let the animal, my relationship with the animal speak the name to me. I don't want to come with the clever, cleverness or the good word choice here. And I'd had this puppy for a few days and nothing was coming. The closest thing I'd come up with was, was poached egg, which is something about coloring. coloring and pooch, whatever. You know, this is like, this is not going to be her name. And at one point I was driving at a long drive out to see some friends. And I was just thinking about how lovely this little puppy was and how soft her fur was. I thought that was like, like chiffon. Chiffon. Could I name her that? But doesn't really fit because she's such a mean little thing and she bites a lot and all this stuff. It doesn't fit, but it's an interesting word. And, and there's the margarine problem. I don't want people to think I'm naming her after margarine. I was thinking and of it, the, the fabric. But well, yeah, that, that's what I meant. Yeah. But that it would sound or like a chiffon cake, like color. Yeah. yeah so, but 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 it's like yes, this was not her. Yeah. She was not. That sounds like a better name for Mister Big. Yeah. You describe yes. It. Yes. Actually. <laughs> yeah. But but the name then went in my mind to there was an old singing group called the Chiffons that I really love and they sang uh, one fine day and he's so fine and yeah. sweet talking guy and these things and I thought like you know that kind of feels right that kind of music that sort of bright cheery the girl groups of the early 60s it's, it's bright and funny and think romantic. Megan Trainer. those of you who what, don't know this it's very much a similar kind of that pop that stuff and sort of the 50s. attitude that Megan yeah. Trainer has yeah. of, of like I'm loving that I'm built this way yeah. stuff, you know? So give some credit where it's due. Give props to you, know who I gave him swag. I made him cool. He used to 
used to be a fool So give some credit where it's due Your props say you know who you know There's that and it's fun and romantic But you can feel her like substance Yeah, yeah All that and it's like that works And so I just went through sort of in a sense long before it ever existed i googled in my own brain okay what are the groups there's the supremes the marvelettes the vandellas the oh, shangri-las the shirelles the shirelles oh, that's interesting because that does does it mean anything and i found some book and looked looked them up and the word doesn't mean anything they wanted to be associated with a group called the Chantels that had a couple of hits at the time, and their lead singer was named Shirley. So it was the Shirelles. And I thought, this is great, because they have a bunch of great songs that I really like. And, you know, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, dedicated to the one I oh, love, yeah. Baby It's You. Love those songs. songs. Yeah, and they're terrific, and the word means nothing. So she gets to define it, and it has a cool sound. It, it, this is so great. And I started talking to friends of mine about it. At the time, I was working with an actress who was a very good actress. It's kind of pretentious in some ways, and sort of <laughs> an actress put, put, a, a, no. a little bit of a, of, a, of a European accent about her, and this kind of thing. And she was saying, "That's terrible because you have this beautiful puppy, and the name sounds like a, a so normal. It sounds like a waitress. It, you know, it should be a Russian aristocratic." Name because she's clearly part husky or something Should. French. Right, right. She was saying that, but you know, I was asking her opinion. There right. was, it wasn't wrong yeah. for her to give. Another friend was appalled because I had bought the puppy in South Central LA and said, Oh my God, that's why you named her that because the Shirelles were African American. And it was like, I never thought of that. <laughs> never I never remotely to me. thought of God, such a thing. Just in naming, and, you got to be so and, politically well, correct. But and this okay, was the, the great. Pressure. This was the great lesson. And then I had this glorious moment. My mom called from Kansas City, just chatting. I said, "You know, how's the new puppy? What's going on?" And I said, "Well, I'm having this problem." And I tell her, and she says, "Well, they're right." <laughs> it's a horrible name. And if you can put your mind back in 1994, right where. The, the specific moment that this was said. But she said, it it sounds like, well, some sort of, of, of slut. It sounds like a floozy. It sounds like the sort of woman who would marry O.J. Simpson. Oh, and ouch. my brain just exploded. I went, thank you so much, Mom. That is exactly what she is. That is exactly <laughs> what she is. Like, you've just She's sold little, it to me. You you're think t- you're deterring. Exactly. It's like, and this was, solidified and, it. Yeah. And this was right after... Uh, he hadn't been arrested yet. The, the, the murder I was going to say all what this, was going on. Yeah, in all the world. This, but all this stuff had come out about him being, you know, rough and you know, the, the records of him yeah. be, beating his wife up and being, you know, getting violent. And it was like this puppy would love that. She's <laughs> always trying to start fights. She's always fighting me. She'd think that was great. And I named her that. Hot cookie. And from that moment on, no one ever had a problem with it. Yeah. It's and I find this with friends who do this with children when they have kids. If they ask people's advice, they will get 500 things about what's wrong with the name. The moment you name the kid, yeah. it's that kid's name. Yeah. That's it. That's that person. And you, you, you might have looked at my... You're both clearly younger than I am. I'm not implying otherwise. But you might have looked at my parents back then and said, Doug Green, oh, it sounds like it's just one word. It's, it's, that's, there's not, that's not a good name at all. 
today, you say, well, Doug Green, well, that's the guy who's going to be on our show today. Right, exactly. It's like, you don't think about, is it a good name? It doesn't matter. They, they find themselves. And famous animals, now that I'm just thinking about it, I'm thinking about the Taco Bell, little Chiquito, whatever you call it. Who was that little famous uh, uh, Taco Bell? Oh, yeah. God. But and then Lassie. What else? Rin what Tin else? Tin. I just saw a thing on Drunk History about Rin Tin Tin. Have you yeah. read that book, by the way? Which one? I will throw this on as a pitch. Here, please buy my book. Everybody is listening. But once you've read it, uh, Susan Orlean's book on Rin Tin Tin is one of the most amazing books I've ever read in my life. Not so much about the dog, but it's it's just a portrait of American culture through the story of Rin Tin Tin. It's just amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. I can't recommend it enough. But get my book first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Let's just talk a little bit more about your book. I, I wanted to know what it was about Sherelle that <laughs> that led you to say that she was the best therapist ever. And how oh, can we boy. become more like Sherelle, you know? Well, you can't. You're stuck. <laughs> you're, you're condemned to humanity. Um, I have I have a ton of stories and they're they're in the book, but I I am a as a therapist, I'm very much the way you've seen me here today. I'm friendly, joking. I, I'm not the harsh guy in Mad Men who sits back and doesn't say anything the entire session and then calls your husband about it. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Right. So I work this way. But having this other being in the room makes it warmer, makes it friendlier. And at this point, she was pretty old at this stage. So it wasn't she wasn't the bouncing puppy who would have been a disaster. But... Guests, guests would come in. The clients would come in and probably feel like guests. And she would come up, they'd pet her, she'd lick their hand, and she'd go over and sleep in the corner, and we'd talk. But if something happened in the session, she would become part of it. It would happen that somebody would get emotional about something and kind of stuck and just sit there, not able to express anything. And suddenly there'd be this kind of groan across the room. And she would get up, walk across the room, and lay her head in their lap. Mm. And that would be enough for them to burst out crying. Empathy. Yeah. Just getting attunement people who'd had uh, attachment issues. Kids who've gone through a tough divorce. Here's somebody who's relating to them in this wonderful way. And they're actually seeing, in this odd way, a perfect couple. In a sense, a perfect parental unit because here's... Sherelle and Doug, who love each other and are completely focused on them. Mommy and Daddy. Yeah. In a way that their parents, who may be wonderful people, couldn't be doing at that point. The dog could do things you couldn't. You couldn't go over and put your head on your couch. You lose your license for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the craziest high point, which, you know, I described in some detail in the book, was somebody brought her father in to a session to, to deal with the fact that they had a completely alienated thing. He had left the family when she was very young. And this was the thing where she had said, I will talk to you. I will let you consider building our relationship again if you come and see Doug. So I, I will feel safe there. Not remotely mentioning the dog. Sherelle was friendly, curled up, went to sleep. And she poured out her heart, sobbing, crying, talking about the pain of her dad being gone all these years and what it meant to her childhood. And he 
didn't know how to react to it and stiffened, froze, couldn't almost respond. He said a few words basically saying, I don't know that everything you said is true, which was devastating to her. And invalidating in a core sense. And this creature across the room stands up, walks across the room, looks at this nervous, frightened man, and lets loose. <laughs> scares the daylights out of him, turns around, curls up, and goes back to sleep in the corner. Whoa. She and, had a big feeling about that. And, and he was understandably very frightened. I mean, she's a big dog. And I said, what was that? I said, oh, I think she must have just heard something in the next room that we couldn't hear. And he calmed down. The rest of the session went, okay. It ends. They leave. My client calls me up later and says, I don't think there was anything in another room. And I said, I know there wasn't anything in the other room. And it was, she validated that woman's feelings in a way that no one else could have done. She didn't leave her hanging. Didn't leave her hanging and was saying, you know, translate however you want, you know, warm up, speak up, do something. You're you're, you're killing her, you're killing her. It was so beautiful and it meant so much. Get your shit together, buddy. (laughs) That, yeah, it's more those words because the the way she was barking was not polite. I love love that she just was sort of like, okay, now I'm done here, now I'm going back to the corner. Exactly. I have nothing else to say. I'm tired. So, is there a way for us to be more like that? There's a book, whole book about it I can recommend to you. The answer is yes, but it's not one big thing. It's it's a hundred little things. And to look at yourself and say, why am I behaving the way I am when a more pure way to be would be this? And again, I'm not knocking having a big brain. Most of the time, we need it. She would not be good on the 405. You know? <laughs> she, um, she would not be good voting. She would not be good. A lot of things, you know, human stuff that we do. We, she'd be a very boring guest on your talk show. The majority of what we do requires this great, gigantic brain. But I find when we have problems, often, if you look and say... In a sense, you know, what would Sherelle do? What would it, what would a what would a dog do? What does my my inner brain want to do? I think I find it's usually pretty right, and we we avoid instinct so much. We we run from it, mm-hmm. and so one of the big things for me, I talk about a case where I was driving on a highway, and I was driving the speed limit, but it just felt like it was a little high for me, but I was in a hurry to get somewhere, so I wasn't going to slow down. And suddenly, I glance at something off my side. My one tire goes off the road slightly. I get back on. The car spins out of control and nearly kills Sherelle and me, and thankfully, nobody else was in the way. Why didn't I listen to that instinct? The metaphor there was that you were in cruise control. 
Yes. And I thought that, that like when we think about that in terms of our, our lives as humans, like how much of it do we just spend in cruise control? Whatever that is, it's going to look different for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, metaphorically, I thought that was kind of brilliant. Absolutely. Because it's like, you know, the, the, the brilliance of just real life things. It's, and wow, it, wow, and it, it was the cruise control that caused the accident. Mm-hmm. I, I eventually figured out, and I should say to anybody listening to this, Cars built since about 1997, probably, I think all cars, have a device, have a thing on them that this won't happen. What happened to us won't happen. It had to do with the, that the car was out of balance, which slows it down, and then it sped up into the imbalance. That's what made it spin out. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be Join us for part two of this episode where we continue our conversation with Douglas Green, author of The Teachings of Shirelle, Life Lessons from a Divine Knucklehead. See you there. You've been listening to The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny, a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Jenny J.B. Wilson see clients in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and can be found online at www.doctorwendyoconnor.com and www.jennijbwilson.com. It is. It's because it's name of your first pet and then the street that you grew up on. Where I'm, I'm Smoky stuff. Cherry. Smoky Cherry. Not bad, huh? Wait, Smoky Cherry is your porn name? Your, By that logic, yeah. What is it? Your, your first pet's name. Wesley. Wesley, and then the street that you grew up on. Arby Drive. Arby? Uh-huh. So it's Wesley Arby. Uh-huh. Now, see, that, that just sounds that, preppy. That is so That's not so going to get you any customers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is not. No one's sticking a dollar <laughs> bill in you. I don't care how hot you are. Okay. <laughs>